Welcome listeners and thank you for joining us for this Vetfolio educational podcast sponsored in part by Merck Animal Help. We're very excited that you're joining us for the second part in our series featuring Dr. Dan Markwalder. In the first session, we explored why compliance should matter to your practice. In this next session, we're going to explore how to establish a compliance program, or if you already have one in place, how to make it even more effective. Leading our session again is Dr. Mark Walder, a graduate of Purdue University Veterinary School of Medicine. A practicing veterinarian, Dr. Mark Walder is also a partner in 11 Chicago area hospitals. He started his first veterinary practice at the age of 28 and is passionate about compliance and strengthening the bond between owners, their pets, and preventative care. Dr. Mark Walder, I'd like to go ahead and turn the session over to you at this time. Hello, everyone. In the previous podcast, we spoke about the need to get serious about parasiticide compliance. Our goal as veterinary healthcare professionals should be to get parasitic control products into the hands of our pet owners and getting them to use them. But for many of us, this is simply a daunting challenge that leads to failure. If you are like me, you attend a conference or seminar, or maybe you listen to a podcast and get all excited, you go back to your practice, you look to implement something new. You might get some of your leaders or managers fired up and you begin that implementation process. And the next thing you know, the busyness of practice takes hold. Maybe you lose a technician or an associate, and six months later, you are right back to where you started. I've been there. I completely understand. What I'd like to do over the next few podcasts is to demonstrate a step-by-step how-to program for successfully implementing a parasiticide compliance program in your hospital. The first step in the process of parasiticide compliance is leadership. It is very important to find some leader in your practice who is passionate about compliance. Maybe it's the practice owner, veterinary partner, practice manager, or medical director, someone who is a leader and truly wants to lead in this area of parasiticide compliance. Simply, leaders lead. When I'm not practicing, believe it or not, I like to buy practices. Yes, you can call me crazy, but one of the first questions I will ask a selling veterinarian how is your parasiticide compliance numbers? Almost invariably, I will get one of two responses. First, we lost this market to the online pharmacies or the brick and mortar. That's simply not true. Second, I hear, well, we're doing great, which is code for, I have no idea. So the first step in launching a successful parasiticide compliance program is this, mine your data. You as the leader must find someone in your practice who can mine the data in your veterinary practice software and find out what your compliance numbers are for parasiticides for your patients. If you have no one in your practice, then find a third-party platform. This is a critical step in moving towards compliance. You need to see how sick that patient is. This is no different than when a client brings in a sick patient into your hospital. What do you do? Well, first, you probably do a history and a physical exam. After that, what do you do? What's the next step? Most likely, you're doing a diagnostic test. Why? Not only to see what's going on, but you want to see how sick that patient really is. This is exactly what you need to do for your compliance numbers. You need to mine the data and see your numbers. Only from there can you start to set goals for your practice. 
So, for instance, let's say your compliance numbers for your dog patients on parasiticide is currently at 18%. And you want to shoot to go from 18% to 30% over, say, a 12 or 18-month period of time. you got to set a realistic goal. You can't go from 18 to 80% in 12 or even 18 months. Second, it must be measurable. As a wise person once said to me, what you measure improves. You will need to set a goal and measure it monthly. Third, you need to get the key people in your practice on board to accept this goal. Once they accept it, you need to come up with a goal in which your support staff can understand. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's say I want to increase my compliance from 18 to 30% over an 18-month period of time. Now, this does not mean a lot to my support staff. They need to know what this means in real time. So let me give you an example. Let's say you and I were going to start a practice together, and our goal is to become a $1 million practice in 24 months. This might sound like a daunting number for a managing partner. So here's what I would tell you. Our goal is $3,000 per day for our practice. Believe it or not, that is the same as a $1 million practice. So what we could do to reach that $3,000 day goal is we would look at our daily revenue reports. If I see 10 clients, then I need a $300 per average client transaction. Or let's say I see 15 clients that day, our goal would be a $200 per average client transaction. So getting back to compliance, your support staff need to know real numbers. What does that look like in your practice? Maybe your goal is eight client-owned dogs leaving with a year supply of parasiticide per day. Whatever it may be for your practice, hone this goal down so that your support staff understands. So the first step in implementing a successful parasiticide compliance is leadership. The second step is framing your message. Now, what do I mean by that? Allow me to explain. In the 1950s, there was an advertising executive by the name of Rosser Reeves. Rosser Reeves had three claims to fame. First, he gave a unique selling proposition. Now, you may not know what this is, but you see it all the time. Unique selling proposition is the idea that any product or service in the marketplace has to differentiate itself from its competitors. So, for instance, if I want to sell you a phone, I must tell you how it is different from my competition. Again, you see this all the time. The second claim to fame for Rosser Reeves was, sadly, he was the first advertising executive to come up with television spots for presidential candidates, and he did it in a rhythmic way. Like, for instance, I Like Ike in the presidential campaign for President Eisenhower in 1952. So I guess you can blame Rosser Reeves the next time you see a presidential TV ad. But thirdly, I want to share a legendary story about Rosser Reeves. As the story goes, one day Rosser Reeves and a colleague were having lunch in Central Park. On their way back to their Madison Avenue office, they encountered a man in the park who was begging for money. He had a cup for donation, and beside was a sign, handwritten on a cardboard that read, I am blind. Unfortunately for the man, the cup contained only a few coins. His attempts to move others to donate money were coming up short. So Reeves thought he knew why. He told his colleagues something to this effect. I bet I can dramatically increase the amount of money that guy is raising simply by adding four words to his sign. So Reeves' friend took him up on that wager. Reeves then introduced himself to the man, explained that he knew something about advertising, and he offered to change the sign ever so slightly to increase donations. The man agreed. 
Reese took a marker and added his four words, and he and his friend stepped back to watch. Well, almost immediately as the story goes, a few people started to drop coins into this man's cup. Other people soon stopped, talked to the man, and plucked dollar bills from their wallet. Keep in mind, this was the 1950s. Before long, that cup was running over with cash, and the blind man was happy indeed. Now, what were the four words that Reeves added to the sign? The words were this, it is springtime, and I am blind. Well, Rosser Reeves won this bet. You see, what Reeves was doing is what social scientists call the contrast principle. We often understand something better when we see it in comparison with something else than when we see it in isolation. People on this particular day were moved to contribute to this blind man because they could appreciate this beautiful spring day while they had empathy for this man who could not see, and this moved them to action. How does this all work for parasiticide compliance? The most essential question you can ask is this. What is it like to be a dog or cat not on parasiticide prevention as opposed to a dog or cat on prevention? Your message must be framed in a way that your support staff and ultimately your clients need to know what it is like to be a pet that's not on a parasiticide preventative as opposed to being on parasiticide prevention. In my world, this message is framed around the threat of ticks, Lyme disease. We frame our message so that clients know what it is like to be a dog with Lyme disease the debilitating nature of this disease and the pets we routinely treat in our practices. What is your message for your area of practice? It is important to frame this message to create passion for compliance in your support staff to help deliver compliance amongst your clients. Leaders lead and you must frame your message. The third step in launching a successful compliance program is this, protocols, protocols, protocols. What will be the protocols in your practice? If I were to ask you your parasiticide protocols, virtually all of you would say year-round. That is what I recommend. Fine, me too. But even in my practice, only about 30% of my clients purchase year-round heartworm and flea and tick at the time of the wellness visit or annual examination. My question, what are you doing with the other 70 to 80%? What will be your protocols to handle the other clients who do not purchase year-round product at that particular visit? In my practice, we have three options for preventatives. Option one, purchase year-round. Option two, sign up for a monthly parasiticide wellness plan, a monthly plan whereby the client can pay X dollars per month and they receive a year's supply of heartworm and flea and tick prevention. Third option, sign up for our free home delivery program whereby you will be shipped the product every 12 weeks for flea and tick or every three to six months for heartworm prevention. So if I have a client that can't remember to give the product, I will encourage them to sign up for home delivery. If I have a client where economics play a role, I will have them sign up for our parasiticide wellness plan. You must have options for all areas of concern that may affect compliance. In my practices, all our preventatives are treated like services. They receive reminders. We generate postcards emails, and texts for our clients to help boost compliance. Now, maybe for your practice, it is offering an online pharmacy associated with your hospital. Maybe you offer free home delivery on certain preventatives, or maybe you offer a wellness plan that includes the option to have preventatives included. You must develop your protocols for your preventatives. 
One piece of advice, do not give clients too many options in what products they purchase from you. You should have no more than one product in topical and one product in oral. That's it. Too many option or choices will decrease compliance. In a well-known study from researchers out of Columbia University and Stanford University, over a period of two weekends, researchers set up booths at an upscale grocery store chain in California and offered shoppers a chance to taste and subsequently purchase different flavors of jam. The first booth offered 24 different flavors of jam. A week later, researchers set up the same booth with only six varieties of jam. Not surprisingly, more customers stopped at the booth with the 24 selections of jam than at the booth with six selections of jam. However, when researchers examined what customers actually purchased, the results were striking. Of the customers that visited the booth with 24 varieties of jam, only 3% bought jam. At the booth with a more limited selection, 30% made a purchase. In other words, reducing customer options from 24 to 6 resulted in a tenfold increase in sales. Again, at our practice, we have one chewable, and we give clients three options on how to purchase from our hospital. Leaders lead, frame your message, and protocols, protocols, protocols. In the next podcast, we will continue our discussion on how to launch a successful compliance program in your hospital. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark Walder. And that will bring us to the end of our session today. So thank you listeners for joining us. We'll be continuing this discussion on how to establish and build an effective compliance program in our next third part session of our series. We'd like to thank Merck Animal Health for their support of this Vetfolio educational podcast. And as always, if you'd like to find out more information about the great podcasts available from Vetfolio, be sure to check us out on the web at www.vetfolio.com. Listeners, that's a wrap. Thanks again for your time.